Uh, I want to draw your attention to something that many of you are probably completely unaware of. Uh, There is an election being held next week. And uh, if you're not aware of it, it's no fault of your own because people really, to be honest with you, haven't been talking about it, haven't been discussing it. There really hasn't been very many debates over it or commercials on TV, the radio, the internet. Uh, in, In fact, this is probably the least tense election that I've experienced in my lifetime. Um, It it almost feels as though we just all need to buy the world of Coke and sing in perfect harmony with each other because we're all so agreed on what direction the nation ought to be going. And of course, you know that everything that I just said, except for the fact that next week is going to be an election, is completely bogus and completely false. There is a great amount of division. There is a great amount of divide and, and actually harsh feelings towards one another Uh, There's a great amount of really just disagreement on who to vote for. Um, If you were to ask just, and this isn't just amongst believers, differences between believers and unbelievers, even believers themselves, even believers in the same church seem to be disagreeing. You can ask almost anybody and they can give you a reason of why they're going to vote for a particular person. And then they're probably going to give you a a larger list of why they're not going to vote for the other candidate, nor will they ever vote for that candidate. Um, And at the same time, in in the midst of this, uh, there will be some who will sit back and say, just because of a clear conscience, I can't vote for either candidate. I just can't find myself doing it. And then certainly there's going to be somebody that comes along, and they're going to sit there and say, well, that's a sin. The Bible demands that your responsibility as a believer is to vote in this particular election. And the question for me on that kind of thing is, is that really true? Does the Bible really demand that we vote in particular elections? Is that command complete, clear within the word of God? And then if it is, if it does lead us to actually give a vote, then the question is, does the Bible say anything that would actually help us to be able to cast a vote in a way that would truly be God-honoring? Now, these are things that I've been struggling through, and I know that you've probably been struggling through some of them as well. And I've really been challenged and really struggled back and forth whether I wanted to address the subject of the upcoming election, Um, in part because, not because I'm afraid of it, but because that's not what God's called me to do. He hasn't called me to preach politics. He's called me to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so that's what I prefer. I think it's what you prefer as well. And, uh, and so I, I was like, well, we're going to get right into Luke chapter 5 and continue on in our teaching. I know I would be more comfortable, you would be more comfortable, and we could all drive home, have lunch together, and everybody would live happily ever after. But something changed over the last week. I started to become irritated. Yes, pastors become irritated too. I was irritated because it seems like everybody in the world is trying to shepherd you and shepherd this flock. They're trying to tell you how to think. They're trying to tell you how to vote, how to think through these particular uh, uh, categories in, in, in election. And not only uh, Lost World, but also many believers, uh, prominent pastors and authors and, and even seminary, uh, uh, presidents of seminaries are, are trying to tell you the correct way that you should vote and why it's right and why it's ultimately wrong. But the truth is, it's not their responsibility to shepherd the, this flock. It's my responsibility and in the pastors and the elders of this church to shepherd this particular congregation. And so they will not be held accountable for how they led, but we will be held accountable for how we led. And because of that fear of accountability, standing before God and giving account for how we led you, even in issues like electing, 
then I need to say something about what is going on so that you are not being led some other way, but instead so that we can understand what the Word of God, what I believe, clearly teaches. And so for that, to, that reason, we're going to really try to answer those two questions. Does the Bible give an explicit command for us to vote? And number two, uh, if it does, then what does it say or how can it help us to be able to know how to vote in a God-honoring way? So question number one, does the Bible give us an explicit command to vote? Simple answer, no. It does not. You can look from beginning to end, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and you're not going to find any thou shalt vote in every election. You're just not going to find it anywhere. A large part of that is because when the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years, there didn't exist democracies during that time. People didn't have a vote. Instead, you had absolute monarchies where the king ruled sovereignly in all things. So what he said was law. Uh, the citizens didn't have a say. They didn't have a vote. They had no way of influencing uh, national policy. What the king said was absolute law. And so for that reason, there is no absolute, direct, explicit command uh, that we are to vote as believers in Christ. But when we study the word of God as a whole, it might very well be an implication there. Maybe may not explicit, but implicit, meaning that it might very well apply that it is in some way our responsibilities to vote when we have the opportunity to be able to do it. I want to go through a couple passages of Scripture that help build this theology and this idea, I think. I want to begin in Romans chapter 13, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. If not, just listen very closely, if you will. Romans 13, 1 through 7, says this. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So this is what Paul wants us to understand. You and I are to submit to the authority of the government that's local, that's statewide, that's national. We are to submit to those authorities because God is the one who placed them there. God has created the institution of a government. And so he goes on then, he's going to give us now insight to what the purpose that God has given that government to uphold. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rules are not as a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. Did you see that? God has created government. His purpose for it is for your good, promoting good. And then he continues on and he says, But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoing. So make sure you see it. Here we go. God is the one who has given us the institution of government. He's also dictated what they are to do, what the purpose of government is. It is to promote good and to restrain evil. We see the same thing reiterated by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He writes there in a more concise way, but he says, But sub subject your, uh, sub be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There it is again. Submit to it. Why? Whether it be the emperor or as supreme or to governors as sent by him 
He's saying the institution given by God. Now he's going to tell us very quickly what the purpose of that institution is. He says to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So he says the same thing just in reverse. What is the government's responsibility? To restrain evil and to do what is good. So we got it. We understand it. You're like, hey, great. Now I know what the government is, where it came from, what it's supposed to do. What on earth does that have to do with whether we are supposed to be voting or not? Well, if you were to sum up what the purpose of the government is, the government is to uphold justice. That's what they were supposed to do. That's what it means to promote good and to restrain evil. But in the word of God, we also see very clear, specific commands to the individual believer of God that we are to be upholding justice as well. So not just the government, but you as well have that same calling upon your life by a holy God. We read in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3, it commands us to do justice and righteousness. Micah 6, 8 tells us, He had told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? So what does it mean to do justice? Uh, Let me give you just a different definition. It could be this. This simply means that we are to look after the good of all people. Would you agree with that? We are to look at the good for all people. No matter who they are, what they look like, where they're from, how much money they make, how much education they have, the color of their skin, all people, we are to look after their good, and we look after it by promoting good and restraining evil from harming them. And then notice this, as is consistent with God's character and his word. So we want the good for every person, but the way we define that goodness is based on the character and the word of God. A lot of people are going to call things good that are evil, evil that are good. That's why we must align ourselves to what God says is ultimately good. So track with me for a minute. You have the government. Their job is to uphold justice. You get that? Uh, Then our job is to uphold justice. But where in the world do they intersect? And here's the point. For those who were first receiving this, Peter, the, the audience of Peter and, and, and Paul, it didn't intersect at all. The government would do as the government saw fit, and then we would do, the, the believers would do as God had commanded them to be able to do. They had no say in what the, old, the government does. But understanding that we live in the United States, where we live with a democracy, then we begin to see how these two things do intersect, don't we? We see that, that, that God has a plan for the government. We also need to uphold righteousness and goodness and justice for all. And, but at the same exact time, they do intersect because we have a representative form of government to where you and I choose who is going to be leading. We have a representative form of government, which means that we do have a say in who leads and directs and how they direct and govern this country. We do this by casting our vote. If government has been created by God for the purpose of promoting good and restraining evil, and we have the opportunity to choose those governing authorities, then we are to choose those whose policies would most holistically align to the character, to, to, to God's character and to his word. Would you agree with that? So what we find here is when I say holistically, I mean that, I I say that purposely. Because there is not going to be any politician, past, present, or future, any political party, or any uh, political platform that is going to be fully in submission to the person of God. They are not going to be. It is going to be a mixture of good things and evil things. Get that right now. 
It is, it is I say holistically, the, the best that we can that would ultimately promote the best, most good and restrain the most evil. There is only one person who has ever lived who has upheld the law of God perfectly, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he has done everything in full submission to the Father, obeying perfectly. It is why he and he alone has been given the right by the Father that all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth, which means if he holds all authority in heaven and earth, it means that all those who govern and hold authority in this world, including governments, are in submission to God and will be held accountable for how they rule and they reign. But there's something else to that. It's not only them that are accountable, it will be us. We see the accountability uh, played out in the word of God of governments to God. By the way, if you just look in the Old Testaments of Moses and Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let the people go. God said, oh, you're going to let the people go, showing his authority. Uh, we saw that with, king Ahab, with, with Elijah, King Ahab. We see it with John the Baptist and with King Herod. Again, God's, uh, God's authority trumping those all together. And so when we put all this together, we realize, okay, they're going to be held responsible, but so are the people who voted them into the office. If there are people who are ruling and reigning, and yet they ultimately are pushing for that which is anti-God, and contrary to the clear teaching of the Word of God, and contrary to His nature, and we are electing for that to be able to happen, we take responsibility for the evil that they end up spreading and enacting. If they spread good, if we vote for somebody that, that restrains evil and promotes good, then we are a part of that same accountability for placing that person there. So get this. So this isn't something that we do when we go and cast a ballot. This isn't something we do haphazardly. It's not the type of thing that when you go and vote, you sit back and you begin to think to yourself, you know what, what guy do I like better? What guy do I, would I rather sit down and be able to have a nice meal with? That's not the question to be asking. The question to be asking is, God, what would ultimately, with understanding we have two very fallen characters, that nothing is absolutely perfect, who is it and what person should I vote for that would most closely align holistically to your character and your purposes and restraining evil and promoting good? That's the question that you and I should be asking. It really gives a completely different weight to this whole election thing, doesn't it? It sets us on the trajectory of where we need to be. The question is not what do I want or who do I think or, or what is my own uh, uh, selfish gain out of this. Is God, what do you want? That's what it is. We'll unpack that just a little bit more. So here's the idea. Therefore, the question then is, is so does this mean that it's a sin not to vote? And I would say not necessarily. I would say not necessarily because I think all of us could, could see a possibility of one day, unfortunately, coming to the point that casting a vote for any candidate could be sinful because they could be so depraved and so wicked that, that, that everything they do is anti-God and casting a vote for either one would be supporting that evil. Fortunately, by the grace and the mercy of God, I don't believe that they were there yet. By the mercy and the grace of God. And so what I would say is, even though it is not inherently evil or a, a, a direct sin against God, I do think at best it is a lack of good stewardship of what God has entrusted you and I with in order to be able to promote his purposes throughout the world. Got it? Okay, you look so happy. I don't know what to do. We need to put masks back on. All right, so 
Here's the second thing. So that's the first idea. Does it express, here's the answer. Does, does the Bible command us directly, explicitly? No, but it's probably implied in the fact that we have a responsibility to do justice and to be able to elect those that would do the same. All right, second thing. Wow, this, we're almost half, we're halfway done. It's amazing. All right, be happy. Number two, I know I'm happy. All right, number two, does the Bible tell us anything that would help us to vote in a God-honoring way? Let, let me say this, I think absolutely yes to that answer, but I, I think we have to be mindful that it's really easy for people, to, and they do this often, making these broad, sweeping judgments, claiming of what God's purposes are, about what the Christian platform is, or what the Christian worldview is, without ever almost supporting it by any acknowledgement of Scripture at all. They just say that that's Christian, and you're just supposed to assume it uh, as it is. Now, let's be very clear. With some of the different... Um, categories that people are voting on, uh, the different policies that people are voting on, some of those are addressed in the Word of God very, very clearly, without doubt. Some of them are not nearly as clear. Would you agree? Just not nearly as clear. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, we talk about a group of not, near, not, not clearly commanded policies of energy, gun control, health care, these are just not direct commands in the word of God. It doesn't say, thou shalt not frack. Fracking, thou shalt not fracking. I don't know how to say that, all right? That, or, or, or you must, and then go on and say, you must use only wind energy. I just haven't found that. I know the Holy Spirit's like the wind. Woo, maybe that's it, I don't know, all right? But, but, but just direct command, direct uh, relation w- with that, you just don't see it. Uh, gun control, I'm sorry. I know some of you are gonna be like, Dude, that's in the Bible somewhere. It's not in the Bible, all right? Um, some of you are going to sit back and go, well, what about health care? And again, again it's, it's, not in, it's not clearly commanded in the Bible, and there's not a whole lot of instructions that, would, that, that give us specifically to that uh, idea. Now, let me say this. Even though the Bible doesn't directly uh, speak on these things, I do believe that the Word of God is sufficient, amen? That the Word of God, if we, te- if we study it and we put it to heart, that God can lead us to be able to make right, God-glorifying decisions even in these particular areas that aren't specifically addressed. Would you agree? But what I would say is they're not super clear within the text of Scripture. Second category is clearly commanded but not completely clear. Clearly commanded but not completely clear. Issues like taxes. God has spoken on taxes. You know what he said? Pay them. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God. Immigration, that we are to take care of the sojourner. We are to care for the world, be good stewards. God has given us dominion over the world. We are to take care of the poor. Where do you find that? From Genesis to the book of Revelation. These are all very clear and direct commands. Would you all agree? But there's not necessarily just a multitude of instruction on how to carry all of that out exactly. With immigration, does that mean just open up all borders, let everybody in? Does that mean to have some kind of way of vetting those who are coming into the country? The Bible just doesn't give specific instructions. We must do something and care and love the foreigner and the sojourner and the immigrant. We must do that. How exactly we do that, I don't know. And if you'll notice, the things that I've just said, even both political parties, they agree on all of that. What I mean is they address all of these things. They believe they need to be done. They just address them in completely different ways. Would you agree with that? Okay. So you have what is not clear. You have what is clear, but yet we don't have a lot of information on it. So it's a little fuzzy on how that's supposed to work out. 
And then we have what I call, which is clearly, what's a clear command with no need for further instruction. When I say a clear command, I mean either it's a direct command of God, or we know very clearly what God believes on the subject, either for it or against it, because of what the Bible teaches as a whole, theologically what he teaches about a particular subject. And so let me give you a couple of those. Marriage would be one of them. Marriage, right? Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage. And so marriage, what does the Bible teach? It is between one man and one woman. That is how God defines marriage. Yes? Okay, all right. Just want to make sure. Thank you very much. That's how we define marriage. Now listen, so so what that means, if if that's how God defines marriage, he says that's what it is. When he was trying to find a right helpmate, the perfect helpmate for Adam, it wasn't a man and a man or a woman or a woman. It was a man and a woman. It was, they, they, they fit together. It was the perfect match together that God, out of his goodness and his grace, he brought as a gift to him. And so what we find then is there's ways to distort that, and there could be policies that would go against what God's ideal is. Let's think about gender for a moment. That's a huge, huge issue in today that's going on. God speaks about gender. He says in the book of Revelation, they had created them male and female, male and female. He created them, right? And there was no confusion on the part of God. He created them, and then he wants men to be men. He wants women to be women. And let me explain something very carefully. For those who are struggling in that idea of of, of gender confusion, my heart goes out for them. My heart breaks for you. For you, if that's where you are, we want to minister to you and love you and explain how God has created you, but ultimately how how we are going to submit to what God has said and what God has done in his will for your life. That's the best thing for you. But yet when we have policies that sit there and say we're going to confuse what God says about being a man and buying a woman, we understand that God would be against that and he would be for those who would uphold it. Then there is the idea of abortion. Abortion is plainly murder. The Bible says that every child is created in the image of God, that every child is known of God before they were, when, when they were being created in the womb of God. God knows them from eternity's past. And for, them, for, for, for those children to be murdered from the mother's womb, that would be anti-God. Let us be very clear about that. There's nothing about that that is God honoring, and there's nothing more that you can keep saying that's going to bring any more clarity to that. God has spoken. Racism. Racism is any hatred or mistreatment of another person based on ethnicity, nationality, or color of their skin. It is distinctly prohibited because all have been created in the image of God. <clears throat> this is not something that we need to think on or have more classes on. This is something that God has specifically spoken clearly, and we amen it. There's then religious, re- religious freedom or religious liberties. You say, where do you find that in the Word of God? Again, not explicitly, but implicitly. Think about it for a moment. God has called all people. He's created every person on the face of the earth to worship. The question is not whether you worship. The creation is who you worship or what you worship. You're going to worship everything. We were designed to be able to do so. But God gives us the express command to worship God in God alone. 
And whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. We are to worship by gathering together. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. We're going to sing psalms and spiritual songs together. We're going to preach the whole counsel of the word of God together. The church is going to send out workers uh, into the harvest, right? These are all things that the church needs to be able to do. So think about it just for a moment. If If we are for God and what he wants us to do, then we should be for the freedoms of those that allow us to be able to go freely to do it. To be able to hold for something that says, no, we want to oppress spiritual freedoms or religious freedoms, that would be in contradiction to who God has called us to be and what God has ultimately called us to do. And so all I'm trying to do is make something very simple for you to understand. Please do not cast a vote based on something that is not super clear. For you to simply vote, and this is where it's going to touch and stir up a little bit, for you to simply vote on the issue of gun control, period, is not what I would think would be the ultimate, more clear commands of God where he has stated and spoke so clearly. It's just not, it's not there. You can get there. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that you can't come up with understandings through the word of God. I'm just saying it's not nearly as clear as other places where God has just said, I've said it. There's no argument, no need for conversation. We know what God is for and we know what God is against. I would say, take those things and put them to the top. Begin to look how each party ends up working and working through these. And remember, no party is gonna be perfect. No person is gonna be perfect. But keep in mind, the purpose of all of this is for me to be able to promote the purposes of God, to restrain evil, to promote good, and to do what? And to make sure that God is glorified in this. So that's the first thing we do. Number two, number two, recognize that not every issue is morally equivalent. Not every issue is morally equivalent. And this is where we're probably going to feel a little bit of pushback, if any. And this is where we are. We, we have this bad habit of just oftentimes making this blanket statement that all sin is equal. All sin is the same. And it is true on one aspect. On one aspect, all sin is the same because it is all rebellion against God and all is deserving of the judgment of God. No matter whether they're the little ones that we call little sins or the great big giant sins, they are all the same in that nature. They are offense to God and they are judged by God. So that is why somebody can say, even if you sin in the smallest portion of the law, you are guilty of committing and being guilty of the whole law, right? So that's how they are the same. But in another aspect, they are not all the same. In fact, not at all. Some sins are more egregious than other sins. And the level of their, uh, how egregious they are is often based on the impact and the danger they have to those who are ultimately around us. How is this going to impede other people? We see this in the word of God. For example, in Exodus chapter 22, it says, When a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. So what he's saying is, if you sin against your brother by stealing from him, then you need to be able to pay him back up to five, four or five times what it was that you were ultimately, that you've stolen from them. So he, they're identifying this is sin, and this is the consequence of that sin. You need to get more oxen, you need to get more sheep. But then we read in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Now, being put to death, to me, is a whole lot more than trying to give somebody some livestock, Right? There's a greater cost in it. It's an all-in. Why is that? The, the punishment is greater because the sin is more egregious. 
To take somebody's life is more egregious than taking their stuff. And so that's why there's a more severe punishment involved here. So what we would say is all is sin, but they're not morally equivalent in how they influence and how evil spreads because of these particular acts. This is, this is just commonplace. Think about it if you, and I'd hate for this ever to happen, but say you, you, you got held up by a gun, and you wouldn't if we were just against gun control. Right, and so I know, I, I, so uh, see, that's, that's how you're thinking, and I understand. So, so here's the idea. Say if somebody were to hold you up and say, hey, listen, um, uh, give me all your money. You'd sit there, oh, bro, here you go. Take my wallet, take everything. Here's my keys. Uh, here's my wife and one of the kids I don't like. You just take them all and you go, no, what you're going to do is you're going to say, take my car, take my money, take whatever, but don't take my, don't take my life. You instantly have demonstrated that this person is going to sin against you, but there's a, no, there's a way that they can sin against you more egregiously. There's a way to do that. If, let me give you one more just to drive it home. If I were to sit there and say, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. Uh, here's the choices. Um, I can either say, a really, I can call you a really, really bad name. I can cut your hand off or I can take your life. You choose. You'd be like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? You're going to be like, just call me whatever you want to. Just leave my hand. Why is that? Because in your own mind, you understand that all are, you don't want any of those things to happen. All of those are wrongdoing against you. But you understand that being called a name is not nearly as bad as somebody taking your hand and someone taking your life is not nearly as bad, or taking your hand is not nearly as bad as somebody taking your life. So we understand this. And why is this important to understand is because you are going to see weak wickedness and evil in every politician, in every structure, in everything. You know why? Because they're all fallen men and women. And even though some are going to align more to the tenets of God, every single one of them at their very heart is going to be corrupt, just as you and I. Don't look surprised, as every one of us are. And oftentimes, we're going to make decisions just based on what selfishly is best for us. And sometimes what we choose is oftentimes imp impacted by our sin rather than being submitted to the word of God. So what I'm saying is, is when you make that decision, no matter who you vote for, you are going to have to sit there and say, where does God speak most clearly? And then you're going to have to sit there and say, okay, now there's some evil, and I can't see perfect goodness on either side. Now I'm going to have to try to ultimately determine where do I end up residing, which is the greater good or the greater evil. This is something that uh, I, I do like John Piper. Many of you read of him, and, and, uh, and I respect him greatly. He, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know or learn incredible theologian. I have great respect for him. Uh, I've learned a great deal from him through his ministry. He is a godly man. There's no doubt about it. But I deeply disagree with an article that he had published this last week. And this last week, what he, I bas what he, basically what he comes down to is he was arguing against this idea of, uh, of things. Well, he was actually arguing for moral equality. That, that, in other words, that all of these things, every sin is basically equal. And there's no distinction between them. So here's what he says, and see if you can catch on. He says, I remain baffled that so many Christians consider the sins of unrepentant sexual immorality, unrepentant boastfulness, unrepentant vulgarity, unrepentant factitiousness, and the like, to be only toxic for our nation, while policies that endorse baby killing, uh, sex switching, freedom limiting, and socialistic overreach are viewed as deadly. He says, I got a problem with people categorizing sins. That's what he's saying. He says, it's a hard time 
thinking that I'll hear a Christian say that aborting babies and, 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 and uh, gender confusion and holding for those things are more wicked than a person being prideful and boastful in themselves. His argument is that they're not the same, that they are actually the same. In fact, he goes on to say that they are both equally dangerous. Listen to his words. I think Roe, now he's talking about the, the court case, Roe versus Wade. He goes, is an evil decision. I think Planned Parenthood is code name for baby killing and historically at least ethnic cleansing. I agree with everything he's saying. And I think it is baffling and presumptuous to assume that pro-abortion policies kill more people than a culture saturating pro-self-pride. What? You mean to tell me, in all due respect, Dr. Piper, that you think that a person who walks around with a number one foam finger constantly letting people know how great the individual is and how wonderful they are is truly as actually dangerous as the continued slaughter of 600,000 children in the womb every single year? You're given moral equivalency to those two things. What I would say is I would say, yes, the self-promotion, the anger, the sin, we need to call it what it is. We don't need to overlook that. That's where the, I think that's where I agree with John Piper is the fact that oftentimes people will get a politician and they'll overlook all of the sins and the ill and act as though it's not a big deal. Pride is a big deal. Self-centeredness is a big deal. All of these things are deadly sins against God and we need to call it what it is. However, to be able to match that up with the continual mass murder and genocide of 600,000 children a year, to me, I just don't see it. And here what we see is we see Al Mohler, he, he makes this comment, I thought it was good. He said, I cannot accept, I, I, I say the same, I cannot accept the argue, argument that a calm man who affirms the dismembering of babies in the womb has a superior character to a man who rants like Genghis Khan, but yet at the same time preserves that life. He says, in my ideal world, I would vote for the candidate in whom the personal, the principled, and the practical earn my admiration. I do not live in that world. I live in this world, and I must act accordingly. It would be great to be able to have politicians that are born again, blood-washed Christians that uphold all of God's purposes. I'd be the very first person to be able to vote for them if they were able to be able to have a chance to be able to make a difference but we do not live in that world right now. What we live in is a world where we have to make some very tough decisions based on the word of God of what is most clear and what is most good and what will restrain the most amount of evil. That's where I believe we are. Let me close with this last point. Third thing that I think that you should do at the polls is this, is recognize that our vote must be done in love of God and love of others must be done in love of God, in love of others. I, I want to tell you that I, the way that some Christians, self-professing uh, Christians, carry themselves, their arrogance, their attitude, and their harshness, even if they're right on particular policies, really puts me off. The arrogance of this is who we are, like it or lump it, all these different types of things. It's just not the attitude of the Spirit of God that a believer should have. 
Instead, what we do is the reason that we make the decisions that we make is not for our own personal gain. That's how a lot of people vote. Well, you know what? I'm afraid that my taxes are going to be touched, so I'm going to go in this particular direction. Or I'm afraid that my gun is going to be taken. And look, you and me both, I'm a hunter. What am I going to do? Well, more bow hunting, I guess, right? So I don't want that to happen either. So you've got, I'm just being real with you. So you don't want all those things to be able to happen. But those are not the things that I base my vote on. There are far more broad, important issues at play than whether I get my way. And it's going to be done out of my love for God. And it's not going to be done because I want God to love me more because he can't love me any more than he already does. And it's not going to be to somehow gain his acceptance because I've already been accepted on, on, on behalf of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood. That now I am, have right standing before him. My sins are cleansed. I have eternal life. And I did nothing for any of it. Not even the belief that I have was my own, but it was given to me as a free gift of eternal life by Jesus Christ. And so this is where I am. This is where you need to be. We need to do all things and consider, God, it's for my love for you that I'm going to cast this one vote. And then it's a love for other people. You need to seriously begin to stop and think what is most loving for other people as well. I need to be able to look after people who are struggling. Maybe you're not struggling financially at all, but maybe there are, are, are those. Maybe people fall in another category that you don't ultimately fall into. You are to look after and uphold justice for all people. So it's a love for God and a love for other people that drives us in, in how we're going to vote. Not a love, not a self-serving love for ourselves. But let me say this last thing. How you demonstrate that love oftentimes is going to be challenged. Because what you're going to hear oftentimes is the vote that you vote against certain things is going to be a demonstration of your lack of love toward that particular group. So if you vote that's going to make laws that you're going to try to secure marriage and the sanctity of marriage, then you're going to hate those people that don't fall into that particular category. You're against them. And that's how the world ultimately views it. Or if you were sitting back and you say, well, I'm against abortion, this indiscriminate killing of all of these children, hundreds of thousands of children every year, and they sit there and say, well, you don't love women and you ultimately want to be able to control women and their bodies. So what it's going to look like is just understand from a world's perspective and how the world defines love, you are not going to meet the criteria, nor should you. Because God determines what love is. And God loves us enough that he's given us the whole word of God that you can barely read a verse or a chapter that you and I are not convicted and it's demonstrated that you and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And nobody loves us more than God. And why does he allow us to know that we have fallen in so many ways? He lets us know because unless we see ourselves as sinners, we will never humble ourselves and call out for the grace and the mercy and the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ of his death on the cross for us. If we live in a world where we fail to be salt and light and uphold God's standard and his perfection, a lost world will never recognize their sin and they will never recognize their need for Jesus Christ. That is love, whether the world says it is or not. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had. We come to you, and I pray, Lord, that there's no hurt feelings. There's certainly nothing that I would want to say in myself that would hurt anybody. But maybe there are things twisting and turning because the truth is, is that just your truth has a way of exposing uh, false ideas and beliefs in our heart, and it roots them up 
And Lord, by your grace and your mercy, we align those things to, to, to you, submit ourselves to you, our God and our King. God, I pray right now, Lord, as we've been talking about the gospel several times, even through this message, that there are some who are here that maybe even hearing this message on God's glory, maybe they're being stirred and they're like, what is this God glory thing about? What is this salvation about? What is this love that God has shown? Lord, let them be gripped by the gospel today and be born again. Let today be a day of salvation. God, let so many of us today really be able to take these things to heart, actually begin to look at this as a process by which to be able to address not only this election, but elections to be able to come. Take ourselves out of it and put your, you at the preeminent spot where you belong. We love you in your precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. I'm gonna be standing down front. I would love to pray with you. If you have a prayer request, something's going on. If you wanna know more about this gospel or more about salvation, I'd love to share that with you. But right now, we're gonna to sing together. Let's sing together and do business with God based on what we've heard. That we've waited for You buried the night You came with the morning You're the king of heaven The praise is yours The longer the quiet The louder the chorus God is good, amen? No matter who wins this week, God is on the throne, amen? So amen. And uh, look, uh, let, let me just say this. If your politics dis differs from mine, uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I really am. Um, I love you. I, I've never, I know that there are some families and things that is such a divisive issue I'm not going to break relationships. The only way that a relationship between me and somebody else is going to be broken over politics is if they break it. 
Because I love folks, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, got to love, got to care, whatever. We'll just try to find some common ground and love each other. But again, I'm going to keep trying to point you back to the person of Jesus Christ. What I need to know more than anything than your a political affiliation is have you repented and placed your faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Are you a brother and sister in Christ? And that's what I would urge you on to do. All right, sound good? Sound good? Let me say one last thing. Thank you so much. As you know, it's no longer Pastor Appreciation Month. It's the first. So that's why I taught on what I taught on. Um, and so it's no longer. And so uh, thank you so much. We just want to say, my wife and I, and I know the rest of the staff would say this thing, we are so blessed to be here. So incredibly blessed. And that is not empty platitudes or empty words. We realize how blessed we are to be amongst a group of people who love Jesus and want nothing more to be able to submit to his will, to make them God known throughout all the world. And we feel so blessed by that. So thank you for your kind words, for cards, for, for gift cards, for all those different kinds of things, uh, for, for, um, for munchies and sweets and those things. And so if you see me running more than normal, that's why. So thank you so, so very much. We love you and we thank you so much. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. God, I just pray that as we go, Lord, that we, are ulti- we recognize that we are ultimately citizens of God citizens of God. We love you. We care for you. Lord, this was not the normal service, but I feel like this was so needed. God, so tired of our folks being tossed to and fro and and, and people pulling them either ways, not only the lost world, but also Christians as well. God, let us just submit ourselves the most clearly to the word of God that we possibly can so that you may be glorified in all things. Let us continue to love you and love one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, make sure you greet each other before you leave.